Hello, and thank you for listening to another episode of Try Love. This is Jason. Today's episode of the 1983 rom-com Valley Girl includes discussions of attempted sexual violence towards women. If you'd like to learn more about support and advocacy for survivors of sexual violence, visit RAIN.org, that's R-A-I-N-N.org, or call their hotline at 1-800-656-4673. Thank you for listening. Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, and especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So, once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm. This is your room and no one else's room, apparently, <laughs> at this point. <laughs> uh, okay, well, that's, uh, she's got a mic now. So everybody's audio. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's working. Okay. It, does it, it work? could be even closer to your mouth if you're comfortable with okay. that. Okay. Hello. Just swallow, literally. You know what I mean? No, thanks. No. <laughs> Nothing went. No, just. Jesus. All right. Well, You're disgusting, Aaron. <laughs> Tap in. Three, two, one. Thank you for listening to Try Love. Uh, we're going to be talking about Valley Girl today. We have myself, Jason, John, Cody, Harry, and Aaron. Emily. Yes, wow, Emily. Why did you say and Aaron like that? You knew Emily was... <laughs> yeah, but usually you do the thing today Aaron. we're joined by a special <laughs> oh, guest. That's usually Today the... we are joined by a special guest, Emily Sui, our own S- Valley Girl. Sui. Sui. <laughs> Emily <laughs> Soy. <laughs> Emily. Uh, Valley Girl, give us a rundown of the plot. Aaron. What, won't you? <laughs> <clears throat> and... <clears throat> Valley Girl is the story of Julie Richmond, played by Deborah Foreman, a junior in high school who breaks up with her boyfriend Tommy at the beginning of the film. Uh, later at a house party, she meets punk rocker Randy, played by Nicolas Cage, actor Nicolas Cage, and quickly falls in love with him. Uh, this relationship, due to her own kind of Valley Girl status, um, causes a schism between her and her friends, and over the course of the film, various hijinks ensue from there. Incredible run. What happened? Great job. Great <laughs> use of the word schism. Schism's a good word. Schism's uh, a great schism. word. Top ten words. <laughs> get on the mic, Harry. <laughs> well, there's a difference of thought. Top there's a workout <laughs> in that. Uh, so we saw this last week. Was it this week? Last week? At the trial? I don't know, man. Um, yeah. It was amid like their playing of Akira Kurosawa films. Right, right? sandwiched in the middle of uh, Redbeard and I Live in Fear, I think. Yeah, <laughs> bizarre, bizarre place to drop it. I don't know exactly what their programming was, but uh, what did everybody think of this movie? Just quickly. Quickly. I would like to see quickly. Kurosawa's version of it, but it was great. Uh, <laughs> it was fun and sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, John. I cannot top fun and sexy. Uh, it was fine. I liked it a lot. I thought it was a very good film. Entertaining with some problems, but yeah. I appreciated that it was in color because the last Trilon <laughs> show I saw was black and white. Redbeard, right? Yeah, and I've only seen the two, so. 
Not bad introductions. <laughs> honestly, bad. a bit, of, yeah, a little scattershot there. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but that's, that's, that's typical Trilon programming. Right? Yeah, uh, many faces of the Trilon. <laughs> so it boils down to essentially a Ro- Romeo and Juliet movie um, story is set in the eighties, in which you've got the preppy young girl with her preppy young friends who gets like a taste of the wild side with Nick Cage's character. Right? I mean, yep. Harry has some capital opinions about this movie that I don't know if I completely <laughs> I'm making to, faces. But I do want I do want to talk about uh it gets to some places that as Emily said have problems. And I want to talk about those problems first and foremost because I don't, I wasn't a huge fan of this movie myself. You have never been a fan of any movie. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Except what movies have you liked at the Trilon? Name two right now. Uh, Stray Dog and I Live in Fear. Okay, those are just the last two you saw, you (laughs) asshole. Uh, No, I I do want to get into, like, because there's a certain amount to which you'd expect a movie from the 1980s about, like, teenage romance to be somewhat problematic, somewhat, like, questionable in representation, and sort of, I'm glad that that you have the bravery to actually go after those cheeses on the table. Uh, But, like, specifically, what is it that, like, is, that was problematic about it? What did you think, Emily? Um, I think... I mean, it it's, to some extent follows a female perspective, like a woman's point of view. And you see, like, the women in the beginning ogling the men, which is a nice juxtaposition from every other movie or show from, the, <laughs> from a man's perspective, ogling women. But uh, they still d- there's still some problems with Julie as a character, I think, where she's treated later in the movie as more of an idiot and not even though she knows what she wants she's still kind of uh she she says i know what i want but i don't know how to choose yeah to some extent between the guys so there is that point at which she um is given more or less like a, a dichotomy a choice between this abusive boyfriend tommy who uh has like at this point in the film we should probably mention has like attempted sexual assault right of mm-hmm. one of Julie's friends, uh, and she is sort of given a choice to either go back to him or stick with. And she's pressured what, by her friends to stick with Tommy because Tommy is the person that they know and who is part of their sort of Valley Girl community, mm-hmm. part of their clique, uh, so to speak. And so all of her friends want her to stay with Tommy instead of getting together with or staying with Randy, the Nicolas Cage character, who's sort of a punk from Hollywood High. Uh, <laughs> Just busted that right out. I didn't even know I was going to do it. Rip it out. Uh, and in, she's in love with Randy, but she doesn't know if she wants to lose her friends. And that's the sort of central conflict of the story. Right. Um, and like Emily said, uh, her sort of like back and forth and how people react to that back and forth is, is troubling to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Just in the sense that like she's, she explicitly says, I know I want to be with Randy. And she knows she's in love with him, but she... Like, she's not quite sure if she should choose that. I don't know. If you say, I know what I want, but I just don't know how to choose, mm-hmm. there's... There's that scene with her and her dad. Uh, it's near, like, the end of the second act, right? That's what I'm climax. thinking of, yeah. The scene between her and her dad having the conversation. Yeah, where... Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, her her parents, just really quickly, her parents are, I think, kind of wonderful in this movie. They they play kind of the the older generation that has gone through the same kind of stuff and, you know, oh, I know what she's going through. And, and they're, they're kind of cheesy, but they're also kind of cheesy in that way that, you know, I'm sure if I saw this movie when I was 15, I would have just thought they were lame. Um, the uh, the father kind of looks like uh, Cousin Rico, is it, from... Uh, Uncle Rico. From from Uncle Rico. Dynamite. From yes, Dynamite. I was thinking you want to see me throw this a mile and a half across those he, mountains? Same hair. He kind of acts the same too. Yeah, he's uh, played by Frederick Forrest, is it? Yeah, um, and the mother, 
you don't, oh, we don't have the mother written down. I she's Yeah, we should look that up, but she's right. really wonderful as well. And they play, you know, the kind of parents that I probably would have thought was super lame if I saw this when I was younger, but now that I'm slightly older, um, I kind of appreciate, like, yeah, you know, they're the kind of parents that, 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 you know, the dad has, like, a little pot stash somewhere, and he smokes it whenever his daughter's gone, and... Um, that's cool. You know, tries to give her good <laughs> advice, but maybe doesn't do as good of a job as maybe he should. And right. there's that wonderful scene that you brought up where, um, you know, she's asking for advice and he's kind of giving it, but you kind of just want to say like, dude, just be more direct with your daughter. Like really just say like, be yourself, you know? Um, yeah, that's kind of the core of what I really disliked about this film is that, I mean, and I know that there is a side to this that you can say like, it is parodical. It is making, it is poking fun at all these tropes and sort of like reversing the lens. But, that scene in particular really embodies what I didn't like about the movie in that, like, she is getting solid advice from her father to, like, follow her heart, do what she believes is right, and then every single time he says some, like, nice adage, she's just like, yeah, but I don't know, and I'm gonna, like, hedge against whether I'm going to stay with this abusive man or mm-hmm. this equally stupid young man from the punk rock scene. But not even abusive, just, like, has not a single, like good quality about him this character Tommy to me though I, I kind of read that as I mean that is what Harry it looks is nonplussed like. I'm sorry I cannot <laughs> we're, we're sharing the mic in. so if I'm over <laughs> no, he can't step in very, not. very quickly I will say that I, I'm maybe a little more positive on that because I do remember I don't know I was never like the craziest high schooler but like you do feel a lot of societal pressure to like do you know quote unquote the right thing for your friends and for your friend group um, and I think there are a lot of decisions that high schoolers make that are similar to that where maybe there is the right thing that is pretty clear, but you're in a position, you have friends, um, and you can't do the right thing because of that. I, I kind of sympathize with her a little bit near the end of the film. Yeah, I mean, this is a movie about silly teenagers. Like, the idea is not that this is supposed to be a real choice. Like, I think that everyone knows the right choice to make here. I, the the central conflict of the movie isn't which one will she choose because they're both equally good. Like, it's absurd to suggest that, right? Like, right. The, the idea is that it, it's... it's um, it's about choosing between uh, somebody you want and sort of your social expectations. And, like, I, as you sort of pointed out, like, I also think that there is uh, a satirical um, and um, subversive reading to this. But uh, but even beyond that, like, I think – I don't know. I, I chafe a little bit at the idea that, like, it's bad that she's not taking her dad's advice because, like, this is a movie about silly teenagers and how they're s- supposed to, like, struggle with – issues that we might think are absurd to struggle with. Right. I guess it's less that she's not taking her dad's advice specifically, but just that she's experienced this much, so much about both of these guys, both of these high schoolers, up to this point in the movie. Again, this is like two-thirds of the way through the movie, at least. And she's still, like, uncertain, I guess. Of course, it's I would... It's frustrating. Have, it treats have, her a bit as an airhead, is what I don't like about it in that scene. Yeah. It's, she, that, she says explicitly, like, I want this guy, and I know that I want this. Exactly. But then goes eh, back and forth with her dad about... Where up to that point, she's had, like, a lot of decent interactions with her friends, mm-hmm. and talking about, uh, like, what she wants out of a relationship, and where she's going after high school and stuff. She builds, like, some semblance of interiority, and then, like, it's just right out of the blue when maybe it's, like, 
a, a form of irony with the audience that like of course she should be with Nick Cage of course she would be with she should be with Randy but then she like <clears throat> still hedges for I don't know dramatic effect it just yeah. it didn't work for me I saw what it was doing it just didn't work it is um, so so her friends she has three friends in the movie Lauren Stacy and Susie um, the movie is most I think sympathetic uh, towards Lauren Lauren is the one that is kind of sexually assaulted um, at a party or uh, Tommy By tries Tommy. to yeah Tommy <laughs> tries to like come on to her pretty strongly and when she um, kind of rejects his advances. He gets like very upset and is pretty nasty towards her in a really pretty terrible way. And the movie does not go back to that. But the whole time you're watching her for the rest of the film, you're like, man, are you gonna like, are you gonna say something? Like, man, that really sucks. Um, what happened to her? Um, and her other two friends, I think, are, are just kind of terrible. Um, they totally guilt trip her into getting back with Tommy. Um, maybe they're not totally aware of how terrible Tommy is. But I, I think it's Stacy in particular at that diner scene. Um, when they're trying to convince her to get with Tommy, is like right. really pushing hard for like you don't want to you don't want to. It's either this or it's either us or it's it's uh, or Randy, you know, yeah. um, in a pretty terrible way. We're uh, we're eating the mic, Cody and John. What did you think about when you yeah. were watching this? Um, I did want to comment on Lauren a little bit um, because I also expected that um, that assault to come back later in the film in some way. Uh, it seemed to be setting up for something like that. Um, even during the diner scene, when they're talking about Tommy, you can see it's a, a shot. Lauren's on one half, and I'm blanking out on which friend was on the other side. But Lauren was sitting there, not actively engaging. Uh, she was maybe, you know, the actress uh, who I will talk about shortly after this um, was maybe told to have this expression of like vague disapproval mm-hmm. or just like really not feeling this. But then we don't. Like, it amounts to nothing, and that's not to say that, like, victims of assault are expected to come forward. That's obviously not the, you know, the sentiment uh, that I'm trying to put forth, because that's very difficult to do a lot of the time. But within the confines of this movie, it seemed like a weird thing to put in and then not ever circle back to mm-hmm. or have any sort of resolution for. Yeah. Agreed. Um, quick note about this actress, Lauren. Um, she's credited, uh, or her name in the credits is Elizabeth Daly. Um, three years later, 1986, she starts going by the name E.G. Daly, um, or gets, you know, getting credited as that, which may be a more recognizable name. She's a relatively famous voice actress. Um, the, uh, top few credits I could find on IMDb before zipping over here, uh, she is the voice of Babe, the pig, um, and Buttercup Whoa. from the Powerpuff Girls. What? Incredible. Um, so yeah, really awesome is, career for her. Isn't she just the voice of Babe in Babe 1? I believe she's not the voice of Babe in yes. Babe, Pig in the City. Yeah, I think you're right. Just Very some, upsetting. Yeah. This, is a, this is a Babe cast uh, now. <laughs> excellent segue. Uh, the sequel to Babe is showing at... Uh, sorry, Harry, did I nope. steal your thunder? No, uh, please. I was just going to bring Babe, that up. Babe, Pig in the City, I believe, as it's titled, will be showing at the Trilon very soon. Widely regarded as one of the best sequels I'm ever. I'm so excited for that. That's George Miller, right? Uh, that yes. one is... Yeah, yeah. the... The first Babe was produced but not directed by George Miller. But th- I think that will have shown by the time this comes out. Unfortunately. <laughs> this is, is going to be like May. So, hey, Babe, Pig in the City. Hope you saw it at the trial launch. Yeah, watch <laughs> it on streaming or whatever. Uh, I just wanted to say, too, because you guys are talking about her character motives and all that. And I will say that a lot of the motives in here are, I think, somewhat half-assed in terms of the way it's uh, written and and possibly directed. But what I liked about this movie is it was approached initially, um, or it was conceived initially as just a basic, straightforward um, cash cow team movie where it was, the studios wanted to make something quick, where it was, you know, let's put a lot of breasts in here, let's put a lot of party scenes, let's put uh, teen characters that are just horny and have no depth at all. 
And I think, I can't remember why or how Martha Coolidge got attached to this, but no one really knew um, that she had different intentions when she was at, when she uh, got on board. So once she started, you know, directing and, and developing it a little bit, people were thinking, oh, she's, she's actually going at this as a legitimate filmmaker. Like, she has a uh, different story... Um, ideas in mind and so it kind of was like this balance between what the studio's notes were where you know we need to put more tits in the scene and her saying no this is actually how females act you know female high schoolers that I know and people that I know so it's kind of this um, balance between I don't know I don't know if I want to say art house but um, realistic uh what are you smiling about? I just crack a fucking smile every time you say art house in relation to anything you talk <laughs> yeah. about on this podcast <laughs> well yeah I guess that's like a yeah I don't want to say art house that's no stupid, it is like I think it's scratching at that itch that Harry's got to talk about, mm-hmm. like how it's un- under underneath of like its trappings of teen rom com. It is a somewhat subversive. Yeah. Like, well, there's that scene specifically where we were just talking about where Tommy is sexually assaulting her. That was on the bed, right, when they were at the party. Yeah. And it's near the very beginning of the yeah. film. Yeah. And that's it's, it's meant to establish that Tommy is an asshole, right. basically. But like, especially to our eyes, I think that it's like way considerably more impactful than even the movie maybe intends it to be. Yeah. Like, the movie intends it to be basically like, wow, look what look a this dick creep. this guy yeah. is. Yeah. And it's like, oh, wait, like, no, this dude's a fucking, like, predator. Right. Yeah. Like, there was no clear consent <laughs> yeah. in this Yeah, and scene. the reason why there is nudity, too, in that scene is apparently she shot that scene with no clothes or something, and the, they came back with notes like, oh, no, we need to show tits in that scene. Like, we, and we, we need at least three scenes that show tits. And she's like, and every time she would shoot something that was, you know, character-oriented or just... Uh, more realistic in her mindset, the studio would say, no, 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 that's not the kind of movie this is. So it was kind of, um, I can d- totally see why this is a piece of shit to people because it it's um, coming from two different mindsets. It's not a very hmm. streamlined movie from maybe, a director perspective. That, that gives it so much, uh, that gives me a better perspective on it. Yeah. Yeah. I was about to say, maybe that explains some of the, like, the friction that I felt about the movie. If there was like two distinct directorial visions going into this movie, mm-hmm. uh, one of which was like an earnest portrayal which I don't know. Again, I haven't From done any research. From a woman's perspective versus... Yeah, yeah, versus like what we ended up getting, which maybe all of those parts all patchwork together into something that's like valid yeah. and worthwhile. I, and I, will I don't know. The scenes that are, um, uh, you know, just the, the characters interacting and the quiet scenes where they're just kind of looking at each other and facial reactions, to me those feel very authentic and very... coming from a real personal place. Um uh, that Martha's experience, maybe, very, or the very, actors themselves. Very so. personal experience yeah. uh, coming through Nick Cage's face in the shower scene. <laughs> yeah, where he's exactly. just making a circus of his goddamn yeah. facial features. Just Nick Cage. Yeah, that's where it all began. Yeah, I was going to say, you brought it up, but there were, the studio did require a certain number of boob shots in the scene. I Are think it was so either three real? or four. Yeah, like they were. I thought John it. was just shooting his mouth. No, no. no I, I watched a fucking interview about this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They specifically required a, a certain number. And you can kind of, again, what you were saying with like the two different the sides of this kind of clashing you can definitely see in a lot of the scenes because you know there, there is that one scene uh, where Lauren is sexually assaulted but then pretty much I think every other like boob shot in this movie is just like this very quick just out of the way thing that really has no impact on the plot at all and it's I just, just like, wanna, clearly thrown in there I want to say in in line with that th- th- there's plenty of sex scenes and only the women are exposed Correct. every exactly, single yeah. time yeah, yeah. yeah uh, also worth pointing out that all of the characters in this movie are meant to be underage. They're yeah. framed to be underage. Ooh. So, like, fuck studios and, like, Oof. fuck that I mean, how whole old is, system. Yeah, Michael Bowen, how old is he in this movie? Is the guy who played Tommy? He's got to be 28 or something. Yeah. <laughs> he he does, he's a very unrealistic high school student, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Nick Cage is writing that line. He's got, like, the whole I think yeah. like, Nick Chevron chest hair thing going yeah. on. Yeah. Didn't he someone say Nick Cage was... He was yeah, 18 or something. Very he was fucking... Eight, yeah, I think so. Hairiest 18-year-old I've... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to finish that sentence. Yeah. You like him that way, don't you? 
Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to do some serious editing in this podcast. Uh, Sorry. So I, I guess since we've established like the ways in which a lot of us see that this movie's fractured, maybe falls apart, Harry seems oh, to boy. think that it holds together. I'm going to put you on the goddamn spot. Because yeah, well, bring it on. You fuckers don't chat. understand this movie. <laughs> and I do value it because it was directed no, by you're a You're all very valid, right? and I love you all very much. Um, <laughs> you said that a lot quieter. <laughs> I did, yeah, that's You're true. All, listen, listen, it's tough to reconcile with my real emotions sometimes. I love this film. Uh, uh, no, audience. I think that this is a um, really well done but incomplete satire of um, of a, a particular place and time and mentality. Uh, I think we brought up the hippie parents before. I think that they're really crucial to my uh, particular reading. I don't want to soapbox, so I'm going to try to do this really fast. Apologies. We're going to edit it. Make I, it I, faster. I, I do, can you make it? Can you edit it to make 1. it faster? 1.5 times percent? Uh, um, I, I do want to talk. You mentioned that like uh, there's a certain aspect of their hippiness, of the parents' hippiness, that's yeah. very facetious, Yeah, I guess. The, the central conflict of this movie, um, the idea that these are two different um, worldviews or two different socioeconomic sort of... Uh, um, Tribes. No, that's wrong. Not tribes. Um, cultures. Cultures. Co-cultures. Uh, clashing um, on the basis of, of real differences is a lie, and I think that the movie makes it clear that it's a lie. Um, there is no difference between Randy and Julie. I think they're more or less from the same background, and they're more or less – they have the same culture and values, and uh, this is a movie uh, poking fun at the idea of – a privileged classes, teenage rebellions actually being meaningful. Um, mm. I think that it reflects that partially in the hippie parents by demonstrating how these hippies who were apparently rebellious and apparently about um, undermining a system have now folded so comfortably into the same system that they opposed. They run a health food store, but they probably voted for Ronald Reagan and they're yep. living in California and their daughter is a material girl, quote unquote. I I, disagree. I think I disagree with that. I mean, you're not given a whole lot about the parents' hippiness, but you are given – this is kind of like a bullshit consumerist thing. But there is a scene where someone asked for a Coca-Cola in their health food store, and they said, no, man, we don't have Coke here. Coke supported the war effort, which, like, is that kind of insubsta- insubstantial? Yeah, but I- it's – 100% insubstantial and part of the joke. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think they voted for Reagan, right? Like, uh, I we think don't you're, know, but I mean, they're, we don't have they're to get into that because yeah. we don't know. <laughs> they're certainly living in the place and with the socioeconomic status of people who voted for Reagan. Uh, they have a really nice house for owning a health food store. Was it just me? It, it couldn't have been because I think this came out before Blue Velvet, but it looked like Blue Velvet paintings in their fucking house. <laughs> I swear to God. Maybe because I just watched Blue Velvet before it, but... Mm-hmm. Um, Potentially related, potentially unrelated, the cinematographer of this movie, um, I may mispronounce his name, Frederick Elms, Elmies, uh, he has had a hand in multiple uh, David Lynch projects. He has shot many of those pictures. Oh, for pictures. real? Yeah. So, I don't know. I I that explains a little bit of how this movie... Yeah, he went from a razor head to this, like, back-to-back, which is fucking nuts. <laughs> that explains a lot. Um, I, but anyway, I, I like this as a deconstructive ef- effort because I think it actually engages with and earnestly uh, likes its characters. I think we're supposed to like Julie and we're supposed to like Randy, which is something that I look for in uh, deconstructive works. I don't like a movie. I'm going to make so many enemies on this podcast. Uh-oh. but uh, I don't like Starship Troopers because I think it's a similar deconstructive effort that is just smug in mm. its placement over the thing that it's critiquing, I don't think that that movie engages with the complicity of 
what it's saying at all and in how it's complicit in what it's saying in its system. Whereas I think this movie partially does. Um, this movie ultimately comes down very much on the side of uh, the privileged and saying that there's something about what they're doing that's fundamentally defensible or fundamentally okay. Um, it, the relationship we're still, in my reading of this movie, supposed to take away as being uh, um, a good thing, something we should root for, which, you know... Uh, maybe is not something we actually should root for, but, like, it would be difficult to imagine this movie uh, going a full deconstructive route without losing the sort of um, subversive tinge that I think this movie has. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's interesting, right? Because it is sort of both those things, and there is a tension there. Um, anyway, that's my... Well, I, I think since since you, that reading of the movie relies so much on liking the main characters, did did anybody here like those main characters enough to, like actually feel for him. <laughs> I mean, they didn't feel like people to me, although there were, like I said, there were certain moments where Julie felt like a real uh, honest honest high school girl. But I mean, how would I know? I'm a fucking guy. But I mean, just coming from what I've heard from Martha, it seems that way. And there, were, you could t tell there were moments in there that just felt like she was coming, like I said, from a more, more personal place and not just um, a phone. Like, I, oh, I saw this in a teen movie. This is how people act in a teen movie. It didn't feel that way in certain parts. And specifically, I'm I think I'm thinking about the part in the bathroom where he's in the shower and she comes in and he's like, come with me. And she's like, <laughs> and she's like, what are we going to do? Anything like that moment. You can just like her. It's ridiculous dialogue <laughs> in her face. And that scene is so uh, well acted, I think. I don't, and there's a lot of moments like that. But other than those moments, they do feel um, like I said, and it's probably because the studio's fault. They just feel like stupid teen characters in um, a shitty teen movie. I don't know. Sure. But that's, I don't know. That's to me. And, and I also think that's kind of fun. I like fast times at Ridgemont High and stuff like that, so um, you don't have to be too real for me. Sure. But Emily, did you like these characters? I I think Julie is fine, and I was rooting for her, but I don't know that she's fully fleshed out as a person or even expresses her full spectrum of emotions or anything like that. Mm -hmm. She's also, like, she's doing a lot, and it's clear she's, like, in extracurriculars, um, is going to be the queen at homecoming, and all, she's popular. We know that. She's like, learning to drive. She also works at her family's um, health food store and, like, kind of puts herself down about it, too. And I don't know. Yeah, she doesn't she, seem super proud of that, does she? Right. I don't know. I think she... I don't know how to say this. She's not fully fleshed out, though. <laughs> you you are kind of told she is popular, but you're not really given more than that. Like, when, when it actually comes time for her to be homecoming queen, you're kind of like, wait, wait, was she... I don't understand what extracurriculars like what she really hangs out with her three friends and she does date a guy who is also popular supposedly um but it's not fleshed out to like why she would be the homecoming queen um but i i do like her actually quite a bit i think that part of that is uh uh the performance given by uh deborah foreman i think she does a, a very good job um i think nick cage does a great job i feel kind of weird saying this because the movie is so focused on a female perspective, but I don't think we're given quite enough time with Nick Cage. A lot of the time we're given is during, um, like, montage sequences. Or, like, with his pal yeah, we, uh, Fra Frankie, Freddie, yeah. whatever. Oh, his, his, his friend Fred. is also good in this movie. Um, I, I think we're given job. more than enough time for Nicolas Cage. I, I, would, so? I would appreciate more Julie, like, more of a fleshed-out 
time for Julie. <laughs> I guess it's more that there's a big chunk of this movie where you kind of don't see him at all. There's there's a once she dumps him, you I mean you see him try to like win her back in various kind of humorous ways, um, but for the most part, you know you're you're not really shown who his parents are, what his high school experience is like, which is is fine because it is centered around the female character. I get um, the feeling he doesn't go to high school. No, <laughs> yeah, maybe he, he goes just to Hollywood lot. High. Oh he yeah, that's that. right. He goes yeah, to yeah. Hollywood. <laughs> I want to go to the fucking valley, man. <laughs> but he he totally could just be like a freshman in college or whatever. Like it, it kind of doesn't matter, right? Like he kind of plays the role of like the other. Like I mean, Harry disagrees with this, but I, he is kind of like a punk rock. Uh, he's a he's a fake punk rock archetype. I think that he and his friend are both gesturing at punk rock, but they don't actually have any of the underlying ideology or socioeconomic status that would create a real punk environment. I think they that are, I agree with that. Yeah. They are middle class white piss ants. Honestly, yeah, I didn't I, like the, either of those characters. Wow, really? Yeah. I disagree, but okay, that's fine. That, that was a lot Which of characters? punk rock. The, um, uh, Randy and his friend. I, I, I think I disagree with that, if only because their portrayal is like. One of my issues with the movie is I think I think they are legitimate punk rockers, and I think the portrayal of punk rock is kind of toothless. It is no, but they are going they are going to uh, nightclubs, you know, in California. Where the that at the souls time, are playing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, is that punk? But that is that is a punk club. Like those clubs playing in that area at that time were like legitimately punk rock that were totally part of the zeitgeist happening at that the time. The Viper Room, I think. The movie came out at 19, 1983. Bad Religion's first album came out in 82. Like, punk rock was very much in swing. There can be a real punk rock movement and not what the movie is attempting to portray. The movie is, in my opinion, very clearly supposed to be portraying people who are gesturing at punk rock as, like, a fashion statement without any of the actual movement coming into play. It's a joke. Like, it's it's funny that, like, in my opinion, that's, you can... I was I was just gonna. I, the reason I disagree with that is because it's not like they are wearing vests and dyeing their hair and then going to the mall. They are going to legitimate punk clubs. They are going to nightclubs that are punk clubs, and then the music playing is like this kind of Elvis Costello, you know, rock, you know, mid tempo bullshit. It's you know new wave. I mean? That is not punk. That, that was it's new not wave punk at all. Ass. But it's like that's not. It shows those environments in Los Angeles, and it's totally not. It should there should be a band playing there that's you know uh, smashing their heads against the wall just walls. like them and they play new wave music that sounds just like the music that was Honest, playing in the valley honestly they, they look like punk rockers they though. all look like me all of those band members look like yeah, me it's look fashion. like varying stages I, anyway of me. we're we're just like no we're I, I, laboring I, I, the point but like, I never knew that I think I the headline here is that I think this. that that is a um, intentional um, joke that. The idea that Nicolas Cage is a legitimate punk rocker is something that the movie is interested in critiquing or subverting. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that the point is that he is just as privileged and just as silly and sort of um, vain or uh, material as the Valley Girl um, aesthetic is supposed to be. I think that this is a movie about poking fun at the idea of a very safe – romance being dangerous <laughs> in uh in in defense of your point harry there is that line that i think it comes from julie at that club where she says it's not the things that we do are di- that are different it's the way we do them yeah but th- i mean that's a that's a kind of general statement about people I think, I think and being yourself huh? and yeah but I, I yeah i mean i guess i get that but like punk music 
looking back at it, it's kind of easy to, to imagine what it was. But it, it, punk music was very largely a lot of teenaged and like early 20s white men um, who were from middle class backgrounds who were rebelling against that. Right. And it was a bad joke. Just like they're saying that this movie is saying it's a bad joke. Like, so much of punk music was compromised by an unwillingness to actually engage with the socioeconomic realities of the people who were producing it. They were still white dudes who were middle class. And therefore, like the hippie movement, it didn't actually culminate in any sort of change. And I think that's fair, but then you should portray punk music. You know what I mean? Like, that... Like, I have, you, we have split these hairs so I much think we that's need a to fair go criticism get a trim. about punk music for sure. I love uh, Harry's interpretation, but I and I want to believe that's true. But I'm not. <laughs> I'm just not sure if it is. I just don't know if it's just because Martha or the studio or whoever just didn't know that scene, or they just were guessing. I, it doesn't seem maybe it's coming from someone who knows that scene. I don't know. But your interpretation sounds valid, and I I like looking at it that way. <laughs> I mean, oh, for a world where I could like Valley Girl, uh, Emily, you were writing something down while they were babbling about punk. Um, <laughs> I didn't write anything of note, but I I was gonna ask if this so this came out in 1983. Is it set in 1983? Do we know? It seems like it. Okay, I don't it's know. Yeah, it was supposed question. to be at the time. It was supposed to be about uh, Martha's. She she talked about how. She went to all these clubs growing up, and she was preparing for Valley Girl, although she didn't really know it because she didn't know she was going to direct the movie. But in a way, she took it from all her own experiences of going to these clubs, and Mm -hmm. she wanted to portray that time and and living in that time and the people she knew at clubs and stuff. So, Uh, Aaron, it sounds like do you understand? Yeah, I I was talking a lot a minute ago, so I'll I'll just say really quickly. I I told y'all I was going to bring it up, but uh, this song was is doing this movie. Sorry, is kind of exists due in part to a Frank Zappa song called Valley Girl that came out the year before. Is it about uh, his daughter? Yeah, it's by Frank Frank and uh, Moon Zappa, his daughter, Moon, Moon Unit, who was Moon, Moon Unit. Unit, yeah, who was 14 at the time and uh, wasn't maybe a Valley Girl herself, but uh, definitely hung out with a lot of those crowds. She, at that point, would have been definitely an upper class, you mm-hmm. know, girl in, in California. Um, and she, the song is, you know, kind of this rock song that involves her kind of speaking over the top and her speech in that song is 100% the Valley Girl speak in this right, right. movie. So yeah, I, I would imagine it was set in 83 is that was kind of when the Valley Girl uh, subculture was really going strong. Yeah, that's uh, that brings up something that I wanted to talk about, which maybe doesn't deserve a whole lot of criticism or, or like prattle but like just how this movie characterizes its characters through language and speech is very yeah, very fun it's fantastic like yeah. again the valley girl and all her friends are very valley girl like this uh, movie popularized and introduced the valley girl subculture to really? america yeah absolutely broadly um <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, for, sure. Sure, for sure their slang is pretty amazing in this film and i wrote down a lot of it but one of the best words off. i thought was she she described the guy as trippendicular so yeah, i've been using that ever they since they also use the I'm word forgetting. tubular i'm forgetting tubular did, did she mean trippendicular in a positive or negative positive way? <laughs> yeah okay yes. it, it could go either way right it's yeah. similar to tubular i think but a made-up mash of the words <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it might be my favorite scene is the driver's ed scene which she says that in that driver's ed teacher had me roll like that was the best part of the movie for me especially when it cuts back and he's not in his it's, seat it's very fun like <laughs> smash cuts between her go- just not yeah. paying attention at all to what she's doing and the driver <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. jumping out of the car mid yeah it's a very good scene Speaking of the slang, really quickly, I do think that um, is kind of interesting. The the word bitchin that she uses the word bitchin, and there's something about it. Like now, people would say like, man, yeah, that's bitchin, dude. Uh, but like back then, there's there's a lot 
it like kind of hurt to listen it's to got it. She's teeth. like, she's like, man, that's bitching for sure. And I was like, could you quiet down just a little bit? That's so, why are you saying that's so loud? <laughs> take ten or fifteen percent off. Yeah, like, yeah, just a little bit of the yeah, take the bit of the teeth out of that. But also yeah. the the line that Cage, which I think was improv, I heard from the interview when he goes, oh fuck off for sure. Like totally. Oh yeah. yeah. After after she breaks <laughs> up with him and he's walking so away. Good. Yeah. That is That's typical Nick Cage improv. I was going to say, there seems, that in. there seems to be a lot of Nick Cage improv, especially in the last act of this movie. Maybe that was just me as, like, the screenplay seemed to be kind of falling apart. Like, he pulled that random whistle out of his pocket <laughs> when he was overseeing, like, the city. Definitely improv. Uh, there were a lot of those types of moments, one of which really sticks out to me because it came back several times in the movie. Just kind of like non-sequitur shots that I guess like lend credence to the idea that this movie is, I guess, sardonic. Um, and one of them is when Julie is laying in her bed and she's got that creepy porcelain doll thing with Dude, her. our showing went nuts at the clown. Did you guys have that? Yeah. Okay. That yeah. was... <laughs> like, I know that it's just the tiniest little thing in a sea of this movie and its little nuances, but like... It took the shit right out <laughs> of that entire scene where she's like, Do you know why that's in turning? Do you know why? Did you see this in your, like, the. I don't know the watch? reason behind that. Uh, supposedly, I believe it was either the director or it was uh, Deborah. I believe it was Deborah herself, but she, like, found that in, like, a prop department and was like, Oh, that's the kind of weird shit we need to put in here to make it. Like, like people do sleep with that kind of weird shit, you know what I mean? Like, shit that, like, you slept <laughs> with when you were a kid. So and that wasn't supposed to be just normal. Adelaide, I, I had a dinosaur that I never gave a name. I didn't have the spawn of Satan with a porcelain face laying next to me. Yeah, it was kind of low budget. Like, a lot of the costumes that the, the women are wearing in this movie were their actual clothes because they didn't have hmm. money yeah. for a costume budget. I think the budget. doll was a great gab, though. It was, it, was, yeah. it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. um, there were so many people, too. I think there was, like, a shot where they're driving in the city um, to the bars, and there's people on the streets yelling at them. And those are just real people on the streets that they just shot outside the car window that they never got permission to be in the movie. So they're probably just watching Valley Girl one day, be like, "Oh shit, that's me." Imagine, <laughs> imagine being one of those people today if you're still alive and realizing yeah. that Nick Cage screamed at you. <laughs> that's a great scene. Yeah, top, um, it's top, really top. well shot. It's mm-hmm. it's about Nicholas Cage takes Julia or Randy takes Julie into the city for the first time um, to sort of see the other side and how how we live. Um, it it's not. Uh, that at all. Like, it's clearly like he has an insular sort of community and routine exactly the way she does in parallel. They do a really good job of establishing how it's like it's not uh, we're, we're meant to understand because of the way that this movie is framed that this is supposed to be the other side except they're literally in downtown Los Angeles and like the punk scene that they go to it feels completely safe. There's one moment of j- danger in this movie and it comes from a really maybe problematic Interesting. Yeah, it is. But but subversively problematic, right? Because like every time we see, okay, fuck. Maybe you. we should just <laughs> first go ahead and say what the scene yeah. is. What happens is uh, a, a person of color, a Latino dude, um, like jumps out of his car and like Nicholas Cage is uh, is yelling at him because Nicholas Cage is drunk and heartbroken because Julie just broke up with him. He's belligerent. And, yeah, and <laughs> and the the Latino guy is like maybe gonna beat him up, and then his uh, Nicholas Cage's friend comes out of nowhere and like snatches him out of the way and and takes him to this alley back into their safe zone and is like, dude, you can't be doing that. And it's like the only moment of real danger is this like bizarre brown panic scene and in the middle really, of this movie. They really do focus on that. Like they yeah. they cut back several times to that character just spouting like really angry Spanish and it's, it's just like why why it's do you not need the, that? It's not the only uh well because it, it demonstrates how there is like a legitimate underclass or like a legitimately different community 
uh, that like isn't I, this extremely insular, extremely safe white community. They have to invent their own schisms. Ooh, schism again within their within their communities because they're like the real actual differences would never infiltrate this community that's so insular. I mean, I think there are a couple of other moments of that. And again, like I'm not defending that. Like I right. think it sucks that that it's there was a brown panic there. scene in the middle of this. But uh, there's also like a really troubling. Uh, song at the prom. Uh, it's called Johnny, Are You Queer? Oh, yeah. Which was an actual... Uh, yeah, it sucks. Um, but there was like an actual... That was an actual number one hit for a while. Um, so it's it's interesting that that's the, the song that they chose to play at this prom. The prom is like symbolic of like this culmination of the views of this community to the point where like the teacher even when she gives the... It's not prom, is it? Is it homecoming? Homecoming, I think. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's homecoming. She, she gives the speech and and the, the speech I thought it was prom junior prom no I didn't go prom. to any it is, of those. it is prom I think is it same thing at this I'm point gonna same take, thing I'm going <laughs> to take this opportunity to say I was homeschooled and I wouldn't know I say that once per episode why is it it's not kind of important just feel like it's junior prom flex, okay um, <laughs> makes you smarter right that's probably true yeah uh um, anyway, the, the teacher, like, gives this speech, and it's obvious that she is still living in high school. She wants to. <laughs> Who fucking cares if it's prom or homecoming? God damn it. Uh, <laughs> she gives the speech, and she's very yeah. maudlin about her own experience. Right. Uh, Literally, like, t- saying, This is the I last scene the in the movie. Um, but, yeah, there's there's this uh, song playing, and it, it was interesting to me. It, like, made me, and I'm not giving the movie this credit, but it was interesting to me how important it is that these communities are fundamentally exclusionary. Um, but... That's also the point that this movie is making, that, Mm. like, so much of the Valley Girl identity was about excluding people from that identity, where these these women had to – and men had to make up this reason to dislike Randy because there wasn't any real difference between him and the rest of his community except that he chose to dress a certain way and came from a different – equally affluent suburb sure. and so there's this factionalism that is fundamental to who these people are that the movie is making fun of uh, and like in the end it doesn't matter at all right like to the point where it it like breaks the fourth wall almost the last scene Randy punches out Tommy and then they get in the limo and the limo driver who was with Tommy who was hired by Tommy is just like alright let's go and then they just go and they go to the same exact hotel that Tommy had booked except it's now Randy and it doesn't matter it's like it's Shakespearean right it's like it's like swapping bedfellows where like it doesn't like one person switches out for the other because sure. there's literally no difference right like it's it's hilarious that that happened but also well Aaron you go ahead no Emily yeah you, you go, ahead. go you go um you're talking about how the valley girl friend group is coming at it from a place of Randy doesn't belong but also Randy's friend right. treats uh their group as she he says about Julie, uh, Randy's friend says she's not one of ours. So there's also, I don't know, the right, acknowledgement I, on you're their right. Part. I shouldn't have uh, like they're no better, right? Absolutely not. They like, both acknowledge that they're in slightly different stylistic cultural groups. They're they're equally ridiculous factions, yes. right? Uh, yeah, just because they talk differently and wear different clothes for the most part. Yeah, there's a there's another scene to sort of uh, catalog all of the problematic shit in this movie there's another scene where uh where tommy is trying to make julie jealous and so he talks to a black girl at a party and like all of her friends are like do you see who he's talking to and it's like supposed to be like so shitty yeah quiet well it's shitty right but it's also like kind of a it's like there's a reason they chose that 
person. Like it's, it's this is a this is a community that's founded on exclusion as its founding principle, as mm-hmm. its primary principle is the idea that you can't be like us. <laughs> and like I think that the the real differences in this movie never even come into play because like we've created these like insular places where we can create our own safe schisms right. and play out all these smoke this, screens. Yeah, this this uh, um, this performance of rebellion that isn't actually rebellion and is completely safe within the system just like the hippie movement was <laughs> and you know just like the the white punk movement was like it it's i think it that that reading is anyway i'm yeah. it's basically like an onion article the way that <laughs> it's portrayed here yeah it's, it's like, like white privilege like punk. two wealthy white people actually aren't so different yeah, would right. be like the headline <laughs> Aaron, you were barking there, so. I was just going to say the last shot is the, it is them, it is uh, uh, Randy and uh, Julie going to the hotel after prom, but the very last, the camera pans over the uh, Sherman Oaks Galleria, which is one of the malls that kind of, like, developed the Valley Girl subculture, and it was, like, Mm. the final shot is, like, just looking over this mall. Like, yeah, I think maybe I'm buying into some of Harry's readings in this movie. I think that that does seem kind of pessimistic to me. They are text. Is it, I am not. They are not <laughs> some. Yeah. Uh, is anybody's opinion about this movie changing the more they hear about what Cody know? No, it's still fine. <laughs> I would love to watch it again. I think it's when I wa- saw it the first time, I was like, what the fuck is this movie? And then Harry started talking about it, and then I've kind of grown on me more. I mean, I think at best, it's a more honest romantic comedy. I mean, it still comes down on the side of ultimately conservatism, right? Like, we're still supposed to root for these characters. We're still supposed to like the idea that they end up together mm-hmm. in this this place. But it's sort of like, it's it's... I think that the ultimately the idea, or my, my thesis anyway, um, is that like... Um, it's it's laughing at this idea that like the things that we find so dramatic and so end of the world big when we're teenagers actually aren't that at all and like this thing that was so important to Julie that was so life or death actually wasn't ever even a decision right like actually wasn't even uh, something scary and something from outside of her world it was fundamentally something that was a, a part of her community <laughs> was part of her her very safe insular place that right. was created for her i'm reminded of our discussion of blue velvet uh in which we i think it's frank drives them across the train tracks literally to the wrong side of the tracks uh to illustrate the fact that like they're going to a bad part of town that they come from different worlds sort of thing none of that is clearly denoted in this movie like to illustrate the differences between these characters it's literally just I, it's supposed to be, things. yeah, right. I mean, we're supposed to get the sense that that's Nick Cage's world, right? But it's not. Like, but it's, it's just clearly... down the strip and at another club, yeah. you know, that's slightly moodier lit than everybody else's house. Parties. It's a different flavor of the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> it is way less physically uh, denoted where that boundary lies. Um, you know, there's not a physical train track we're rolling over. It does seem like Julie is getting a peek into a world that is not her own. Um, one detail of the movie. Uh, that I really liked um, maybe about halfway through or or getting into the third act even um, shot of her bedroom there's a picture of James Dean on her wall right by her bed I just thought that was really nice (laughs) Uh, one thing that we haven't spoken about it's probably my last point of discussion if nobody else has anything to talk about one thing we haven't scratched is that bizarre subplot with uh, one of Julie's friends boys boyfriends who very nearly fucks the girl's mom 
Oh yeah, and that was that's that was up. pretty that was pretty <laughs> weird, right? Uh, the way that it happens is they meet at a party. Um, he's introduced as as this girl's boyfriend to to this girl's mom, and uh, and they like have this sort of meet cute, and then later he delivers groceries, and she's like, I know why you're here, like. You know, you weren't. You're not here for my daughter, kind of thing. And she's into it. She's feeling it. He leaves without doing anything, and then later comes in to their house. Apparently, just invades their house. He uh, breaks into their house. Breaks yeah. into their house. Makes up a reason to be there. Um, pretty explicitly is looking for the mom because he like makes an excuse that I'm. It's another swapping bedfellows books. moment for sure. It's and then and then we're meant to we're meant to see that our the way that the the um, subsequent. Uh, sex scene is shot, we're supposed to think that it's the mom in the bed with him right up until it's revealed that it was the daughter, in fact, and the mom right. walks in on them. Right. right? Yeah. So we have a moment of relief finding that yeah. out. Yeah. Is Does that play into the larger ideas of this movie that we have, or is that just completely outside the uh, I think it's a... Sorry. I, this is like... It's I think like it's a, cutesy, it's, right? it's, an, it's an inverse on the idea of uh, the... Hippie parents. It's it's. I think it, it's reinforcing again the idea that that uh, generational change is not change. That that fundamentally the the um, previous generation of affluent um, privileged white people are the same as their subsequent generations. I think like I think that the speech at um, homecoming or prom or whatever uh, does that. I think that this scene does it too, where it's like oh like this this sort of silly flirty. Uh, um, Romancing or, or courtship, it happens cross generationally because, like, there is no real difference between this thirty-something mm. mom and their younger. I mean, like, it it is subversive, right? Or like, it is it is weird that uh, that she's flirting with this high school student. But that's sort of the idea, right? Is that she's not different because she's older. Like, she's still a part of that same right idea. I'd, I'd say it parallels the moment when Julie's dad, who everyone seems to love. Does say a shitty thing when he goes, "If I was just younger, I'd be so into you," which he says to Julie's friend earlier in the movie. That yeah. So, um, so that I would say Donald that parallels the yeah. mom going after the young guy, <laughs> yeah. the high schooler. No, for that, God's sakes, he, he creeped me out. Honestly, the dad, like throughout the movie, I didn't find him very like amicable, heartwarming person. <laughs> Thanks. Hey, I, I thought you were supposed to like I'm the woke. dad. I'm woke. I think the um, the storyline with Skip, uh, even more importantly than the points Harry made, uh, we see at the end, um, Skip was supposed to bring cups to the dance, <laughs> and he was very notably late uh, with wow. the cups, and I think this whole uh, adventure is, uh, you know, it directly influences that. I so. knew that guy was giving me the wrong vibes the whole time. Mm-hmm. Apparently she was trying to, uh, Martha, the director, was trying to rip off the graduate with that, um, <laughs> sleeping with the older lady, which is like, okay, I guess that's one way to do it. That's but. An inter- I mean, that's an interesting point, right? Because I think the graduate makes some very similar uh, statements to the sort of thing that I was saying about, like, how, you know, those characters ultimately fit back into the fold of their generations marching on through time um, mm. and an exclusionary community regardless of how they might try to break free of it. Um, I'm really yeah. glad that The Graduate was mentioned. Was I the only one that, last like, w- one, of the, one of the last couple shots? Yeah, I, that was totally framed in a graduate way. Um, it, the conclusion was obviously a little bit different. Um, the direct, the, the exact opposite, in fact, but um, Well, that, yeah, I guess I never need to totally see The Graduate now. I totally yeah. saw that, yeah. I, I thought, I thought it was intentional. The Wik- Wikipedia references it as a graduate-like ending shot. Okay, uh, yeah. So maybe that was with an interview with Martha, mm-hmm. but not sure. Yeah. Well, 
that's all I've got to say about Valley Girl. Anybody have any nagging thoughts? Great soundtrack. We didn't talk about the soundtrack. Uh, to elaborate on my it's fine um, I think uh, with all it's you know the issues that this movie may have uh, it is still very watchable um, we've talked about uh, Deborah Foreman's performance uh, of Julie uh, I will her performance performance <laughs> what did I slur Deborah over Foreman? a consi- consonant never mind oh <laughs> oh anyway Deborah Foreman's performance yeah uh <laughs> Performance, performance. You suck. Um, her her facial acting, especially um, again, as it's been noted, uh, just you can see the um, the struggle she's having very visibly on her face. Um, and Nicolas Cage is infinitely memeable. Um, we've had God. we've had some Nick Cage lines said. Did anybody else have any favorite exchanges um, from him specifically, or anybody? I love the way he says "cool." You can <laughs> you can see it spelled K E W L. Was it him that said, or maybe it was his friend that said, I'm going to show you things you've only read about or something yeah, like that before they go out in the city? I mean, weird it, fucking line. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's hilarious, <laughs> right? Like, they're so they're posturing so hard to, like, be cool mm-hmm. and edgy. And they're driving Fred's mom's car, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Canonically, not either of their cars. Uh, I said this immediately at, after we started leaving the theater, uh, to Emily, Jason, and I. Um, one exchange I really liked was during... Uh, Randy's belligerent, um, you know, oh, I've been dumped, so he goes a little nuts. Uh, his ex approaches him at this club that he's at, and she starts really uh, feeling him up. She says, you feel so good, and then... <laughs> this is a really funny line. And then, uh, and then Randy just goes, hello, Samantha. <laughs> <laughs> Nicholas Cage really could not me. be more unappealing in my, <laughs> and, in my opinion. <laughs> La- later, on, later on, she says, have I told you how good you feel? And he says, yeah, you did say that. <laughs> that's another really good part of that. It did blow my mind to see Nicholas Cage as a young person because I've never had that context. He should watch these yeah. early Nicholas Cage movies. Are amazing. Not, I'd, not I'd rather not. <laughs> not insanely different from uh, later Nicholas Cage, honestly. Like, yeah, it's the same guy, in my opinion. Wow. Do you think his chest is still shaved into like a perfect isosceles triangle? <laughs> we can only hope. Into like an impressionist crow uh, in the sky? Yeah. It's pretty. There's like a weird timeline where Nick Cage goes further down the sex symbol, uh, you know, like Leonardo DiCaprio route instead of like doing just absolutely weird action movies that don't make any sense. Like if you went full interview with a vampire for 30 years? Yeah, like, you can kind of see that in this movie, right? Like, one of the scenes at the beginning is him on the beach, and he's just, like, ripped, and all the ladies are like, who is that? And I'm like, that's fucking Nick Cage. Like, don't say that about Nick Cage, man. (laughs) You don't know what this man becomes. (laughs) Uh, I have to go. Oh, John has to leave. Some of you have just cut it off. Yeah. Yes, yeah, we should, we should end this. Um, anybody's feelings change about this movie while we were talking about it? Anybody feel better? I will say very quickly, just in relation to Harry's Starship Troopers uh, kind of comparison earlier, I think that's not a bad comparison. I like Starship Troopers. Um, I think the hard thing about this movie is that teen comedies have been parodied and the parodies have been parodied, so it may be kind of hard to see how subversive this movie is watching yeah. it today. It also, um, it also ultimately does not. I don't think that it, it actually um, – 
it acts on those. those yeah, I, I think that that's a fair criticism. I don't think it actually acts on its subversive elements. Um, it ultimately comes down on the idea that we're supposed to like this relationship and that it's okay that um, that this sort of endless privileged sort of uh, back and forth performance of the wealthy and the um, cared for will continue ad infinitum which is the point of this movie is yeah. the idea that like this is the oldest love story between two people who aren't actually different pretending they are for a little <laughs> while um, because they're teens and it's fun to do that uh, um, but I think that I don't know that that it's bad that it doesn't go the distance I think I like this movie as it is hmm. um, but I, I I also, it sounds like maybe I just liked this movie more than you guys. Like, I think that the characters are super charming. I love Nicolas Cage. I love Deborah Foreman. Right. I just really liked these performances and, and thought these characters were really cute and funny. And, like, I think that maybe that's enough and maybe it's not. And, you know. Was it, oh, no, wait. I can't remember if it was this movie because your sister uh, said this is the Mean Girls of the generation. But I can't remember if it was this or Clueless she said that about. But it does feel a little Mean Girls for that generation. Uh, I think for... For my part, I feel like having talked about this movie now, I am. I've seen the breadcrumbs that this movie was leaving, that Harry's uh, amounting to like gold at the end of the tunnel kind of thing. That was a whole lot of aphorisms to include in one <laughs> sentence, huh? Uh, but all I'm left with is just like a handful of breadcrumbs. I don't think that it, I don't think that it, it amounted to much. I don't think it closed the loop on it. It's still enjoyable. Cody said it's watchable. Totally is. Go see it if you if any of this interests you. Speaking yeah. of breadcrumbs, the the Foods for Health slogan <laughs> is eat here today, live tomorrow, which I thought was one of my favorite moments so in the funny. movie. Yeah. That, that's a Starship Troopers thing, almost certainly, right? <laughs> what did his t-shirt say? The dad's t-shirt? It, it was weird. the name of his, uh, it was the name oh, of his t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. This is a satire. Like, I have to be clear. Like, maybe <laughs> I wasn't being clear enough. Like, I think that if you read this movie as not a satire, I would urge you to rewatch it. <laughs> but anyway, that's, I'm being pedantic now. All right. Now? Mm, Owned. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, Perpendicular. Try love. Everybody, read off your names one last time. Jason. John. Cody. Harry. Aaron. Emily. Thanks for being on, Emily. We'd love to have you again. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Bye, y'all. Bye. Cheez Its. (laughs) 